The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum everyone and welcome to the Arise to Success show where we aim to highlight inspiring individuals and their journeys to success. I'm your host on this show, my name is Jihad. Dear listeners, throughout the show, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to send those in 0779-481822. Our guest today is Abdul Malik Taylor, who is the Director of Halal Tourism Britain, a multi-award winner and most recently Top 50 Influential Muslims in Europe winner 2023. Abdul Malik is Britain's first professionally qualified Muslim tour guide and the UK's leading authority on halal tourism in Britain. He works with Visit Britain to further halal tourism in Britain and he is also a member of UK Inbound Travel Trade Association which gives access to attractions, tourist boards and other travel companies to to increase awareness of halal travel within the UK. Abdul Malik is also a halal cruises expert and has over 40 tours including walking ones, sightseeing, sightseeing bus tours and River Thames halal food cruises. Abdul Malik, Jazakallah Khair for being with us today and welcome to the Arise to Success show. How are you doing? So we can't hear you, um, Abdul Malik, maybe you're on mute. No, I'm not on mute. Yeah, I can hear you now. You can hear me now? Yes, I can hear you now. Okay, yeah, but I didn't press anything. <laughs> <laughs> not sure why I couldn't hear you earlier. So how are you doing? I'm doing not too bad, not too bad. Enjoying the cold weather, I am. <laughs> How are you? I'm not enjoying the cold weather. <laughs> <laughs> right, so Jazakallah khair again for being with us. So perhaps if we can start with talking a little bit more about Halal Tourism Britain and when did he start it? Yes, um, it's been in the making for now 10 years. And I originally started it when, you could, you could actually say the original seeds were planted many years ago when I became Muslim. I wasn't mm-hmm. always a Muslim. I used to be a practicing Hindu. But more than 20 mm-hmm. years ago, when I became uh, Muslim, I used to ask the different brothers and sisters what they knew about Muslim heritage in Britain. And <laughs> they didn't know much about it. And mm-hmm. um, I found that quite alarming, I did. And what I realized was people were rushing to Al-Andalus to look at Alhambra, etc. as well. And people obviously knew our foundation, the Sirah. Uh, so people were obviously doing Hajj and Umrah, or you had that back home mindset that that's where the holidays were. But mm-hmm. that's when I decided myself to look at um, the Muslim heritage of Britain. And then from one reference to another reference, then, you know, continuous reading and research. And I realized that there was a prolifera of basically um, hidden, Muslim hidden gems all around the country. And obviously, you also have the Ottoman connections to do Britain, the Indian subcontinent to do um, connections to do with Britain, as well as other places from around the world. And whether that was, um, as I say, the good the bad, like the colonization, you know, the, the, um, in terms of the um, guided tours, we always look at different parts of um, Muslim heritage within Britain, uh, connected to Britain. And obviously, I like to um, amplify that Muslim heritage in Britain is, in fact, British heritage as well. And I don't like to separate it. Some people think British heritage is just one track mind. Um, it's traditionally seen as that. And... Um, what well, I try to say, no, there's a diverse history in mm. Britain. Well, it's black history, Asian history, Muslim history, um, etc. So that's like um, initially where it all started from. And then around about 10 years ago, I thought to myself, you know, what can I do with all this knowledge? And mm. initially, I started to do workshops. Vikings and Muslims, Tudors and Muslims. Victorians and Muslims and a normal timeline presentation but then I realized in a matter of months if I took a bit from here a bit from here added a more I could in fact have a walking tour so that's mm-hmm. what, what it became walking tour had a website established and people were inquiring from abroad and they wanted to have a guided tour looking at Muslim heritage in Britain so I started off initially in the city of London 
which is not central London, there is a confusion even amongst British folk and Muslims as well. They think yeah. the city of London is in fact central London. I keep saying, no, no, it's completely separate jurisdiction. The city of London is not a London borough. Mm-hmm. And um, that was the first tour. And the second tour in itself was central London, which is um, even today is, tends to be more popular because you have uh, most of the tourist attractions on this um tour and yeah people are more familiar with particular sites like big ben london eye horse Guards parade where you get to see some uh, real live horses as well and Trafalgar square so these are more the popular um, locations which people know about and the city of london is actually more um, historical and it's more hidden as well and you had does have some hidden gems there as well so this is where it all started from. Then, obviously, doing the walking tours, I kept on seeing these sightseeing tour buses go past. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? One of these days, I'm going to have mm. a Muslim tour like this, a sightseeing bus tour. And I thought to myself at night time, why am I going to wait for one day to happen? I'm just going to mm. start putting it together. And I actually created a, a, a daytime tour. And then I thought, okay, there's there's also nighttime bus tours operating around London as well. So mm. why don't I try doing a nighttime one as well? And that's mm. when you get to see London spectacularly lit up. Uh, but obviously it has Muslim commentary to it as well. So that's what was established. The daytime one, the nighttime one, mm. and even, um, you know, scaling up from there, it was the introduction of, of the halal food cruises on the River Thames, as well as doing a sightseeing um, uh, cruise on the River Thames so that was another part of this whole halal tourism in Britain in the initial days and just from there I've just been working up and the vision itself was always to build I got myself professionally qualified as a tour guide and at the time when I applied I didn't know that I was the, the first Muslim applicant in the tour guiding association so after the interview they did state to me that i not only was the first muslim to apply but obviously i'm now going to be the first one who's going to be doing the course as well and obviously i subsequently passed the many exams so i did get that title that historical title as i say i made history and i became britain's first professionally qualified muslim tour guide but you know as with any profession you're always looking to scale up and even then i didn't stop and i wanted to um in some ways make britain a destination in terms of the halal friendliness it was but at the same time what i realized there was a um the world leaders in halal tourism called crescent rating and they're based in singapore and they have a yearly report which is called the gmti the general muslim travel index and they would categorize the different Muslim countries or the OIC countries, I should say, and the non-OIC um, countries into a table and the rating to see which one is the most halal friendliness friendly. And UK in itself, successive years, has been you know scoring quite highly, and it's been um, number three, it's been number two last year as well in the non-OIC des- um, halal friendly destinations. So. The UK itself, when you look at it from the um, even the last report and uh, the previous reports behind that, UK is the the most halal friendly country in the West. If you take out the OIC countries, so we're quite quite nicely positioned. So we have air connectivity. Um, in terms of uh, Muslim women um, safety as well, it scores highly. We have armpool. Um, Halal cuisines, mixed cuisines as well, you know, halal food mm. up and down the country. Um, we have ample prayer places as well, where even at attractions, they have rooms set aside where prayers can be done. So even if somebody was to go to Hampton Court, they mm. don't have a um, designated prayer place. But if you were to ask any of the officials there, do you have any spaces where we can actually pray? And they most happily would uh, accommodate that request. Um, I, I've done it as well. I was on a familiarization trip uh, and um, I requested, can I do my prayers? They said, yeah, no problem. They took me to uh, to a room. I asked, is this like used every every day? He says, well, mostly, but um, if this, this room's not available, we have, uh, you know, some other rooms where prayers can be done as well. So that's mm-hmm. quite, you know, when you think about it, it's quite nice where the prayers can be accommodated. And it's not only attractions. We look at, um, shopping destinations. Mm. They also have prayer places now, uh, whether it's 
Brent Cross in London, whether it's um, Bicester Village, um, whether it's um, Westfields as well. So, uh, you know, this is just like more closer around London, you could say, but, you know, from different locations around Britain, there are um, prayer places as well, even um, by the motorway. Either they have them in the um, service stations or they have them um, um, quite close to, to the motor. It could be a little bit local mosque that you, that's just off the motorway where one can go and pray as well. I mean, we also have like museums and galleries as well as like um, some theatres have introduced uh, prayer places as well. I mean, they probably call it a multi-faith room, but that's mm. totally to be honest, I mean, it's the Muslims are using the most anyway. And you have airports as well. You know, it's airside or passenger side. They traditionally you know, now Heathrow Airport has both um, prayer places on, on both sides of uh, of um, um, the, the border office, as they say. Mm. So, and you know, within that, what you are finding is that people from the local tourist board are really trying to home in upon what Muslim heritage they have. Um, so that can be that's another way of them promoting a particular destination. Mm. That's great. And mashallah, um, what you mentioned about the prayer, um, it's just sometimes we don't think about that advantage. And it just made me think, subhanAllah, that's very true. I mean, there's a complete difference between France and Britain when it comes to the prayers. Yeah. I haven't been to France, so I have no idea. <laughs> No, because we do get a lot of um, French Muslims who come over uh-huh. and uh, they're quite surprised that we can pray openly. Um, yeah. Even in our workplace, we can uh, um, take five minutes out to do our yeah. prayers because um, that will never happen in France. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I have to be honest in terms of like when you're doing comparisons in terms of Islamophobia, some mm. people say Britain is bad enough, but if you look at it more from a European perspective, um, it, France is much worse. Mm. Mm. Alhamdulillah. So it's a blessing. Now that you're saying it, it just made me think yeah. I was like, that's true, subhanAllah. Because even though that they may not have a prayer place, if you ask somebody, they'd always have something to accommodate you. So even mm-hmm. I remember there was, um, I had to attend a conference for work and it was in a, in a, in a hotel. And I've asked for a prayer room. They didn't have our prayer place. They didn't have it. They actually gave me a whole hotel room to pray. Yeah. I was like, wow, mashallah, you know, the accommodation is really great there, mashallah. And from yeah, what that's, I, that's happened to me as well, to be honest, where they've not actually had any designated space. They said, right, you can just take this room, do your prayers there, take however yeah. long you want to as well. Yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, I could have a nap here as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, alhamdulillah, it's a blessing, alhamdulillah. And what I've heard as well from you that you're saying that based on the, um, the work that you do, it, it feels like a lot, mashallah, is like you just get an idea and I'm like, well, why wait? Why not do it now? So, mashallah, you seem to have full of ideas and very practical implementing it immediately. And mashallah, shows how far, mashallah, you've developed from where you started. And exactly. am I right? Did I get that right that you started 10 years ago? Or was it prior to that? Yeah, it started about uh, 10 years ago. And uh, mm-hmm. at that time, it was just something that was part time. And um, from there, I actually developed it. A lot of people do still ask me, do I do this um, full-time? I go, yeah, that's what people surprises people. But yeah. those people who were there from the, at the beginning who saw, saw me develop it on like social media, they were quite shocked because in the beginning, even my, my own friends were saying, you know, what's this person doing? He's like, mm. he's not going to get anywhere with this. But as I said, I had a vision and I wanted to build that vision. And um, as I say, um, from Allah's decree, basically, it has developed. Yes. And even from there, what's happened is that it has opened up a whole new dimension to tourism within Britain. And I will say, um, I think looking at the West in terms of UK's position, we are the leading country, as I said, in terms of halal tourism. Kind of reminds me something back when Gordon Brown was the um, PM um, mm. back when it was the Labour Party in place. He said he wanted to make Britain the leading destination for Islamic finance. Mm. I now tell people, including Visit Britain, the local tour- tourism office, as well as international bodies, I say to them, well, Britain is the leading destination for halal tourism in the West, once you take out the um, OIC um, countries. Mm. It's great work, mashallah. I'm just going to quickly just remind our dear listeners, just in case anybody joined us a bit later, is that we have Abdul Malik with us on the show today, who is the director of Halal Tourism Britain, and also Britain's first professionally qualified Muslim tour guide and the UK's leading authority on halal tourism in Britain.
He works with Visit Britain to further halal tourism and is a member of UK Inbound Travel Trade Association, which gives access to attractions, tourist boards and other travel companies to increase awareness of halal travel within the UK. Dear listeners, if you have any questions for Abdul Malik or any comments, please feel free to send those in 0779-481822. Abdul Malik, you mentioned that you weren't Muslim before, so I'd love to hear if you're okay with it about, you know, um, your journey to Islam. I always love hearing these stories, if the individual is able to share it. And did that, and actually, you know what, you did actually mention briefly, I had that question, it kind of shaped halal tourism in, in Britain in, in a way. It does, yes, yes. I mean, previously, um, as I said, I was a practicing Hindu. Just a bit about my background. I went to a Church of England school whilst I was living in a semi-Jewish neighbourhood. And I used to go to church and I had a position in church of putting up the hymn numbers as well. Mm. And so I had good exposure in terms of like um, different religions, you could say. But when it came to Islam, I didn't really know much apart from watching a, um, a children's documentary called Zigzag. And they mentioned how... Um, the Muslims worshipped a black box in somewhere in the Middle East. That's all I remember. Wow. But what happens then is that yeah. um, I did pilgrimage to India. And on top of that, I went to see a man god there. And I remember even at that time we were doing the morning prayers that I used to hear the Adhan being called. Mm-hmm. And I used to wonder to myself, why is this Muslim praying to Allah when you've got Bhagwan? Bhagwan's a good writing word for God um, mm-hmm. over here. As I say, later in life, I'd find out. So when I came back um, from um, India doing this religious pilgrimage, I was on the circuit talking about my experiences and people were like, you know, really looking up to me at mm. that time. Um, and they kind of saw me as like, a, um, the, the group I used to belong to was called Satya Sai Baba. So they, they actually said that they had a bit of a label I did and they called me like I'm Sai Baba's um, chosen child, if you like. Mm. But when, <laughs> so, but what was happening ramadan was coming up as well and i thought let me fast because we thought we're doing all the other different religions yeah uh, uh, religious festivals christmas mm-hmm. jewish Buddhist, sikh hindu obviously uh, we were celebrating all those celebrations and i thought well let me do um, ramadan because uh, that belongs to islam isn't it the, the, the mm-hmm. mangoes speaking about multi-faithism so why not but that's when i realized when I was fasting between Monday to Friday, I tried a couple of Saturdays. A couple of other Saturdays I actually broke because I was at my friend's kebab store. Mm. And uh, Sunday was a family meal day. Mm. But what happens then, when I was fasting, I was actually saying the du'as at that time, but not doing the prayers. Because um, mm. I was told it's good if you do your prayers as opposed to it's an obligation to do your prayers. But I wasn't Muslim anyway, so it didn't really matter. But then yeah. it hit me that, hold on a minute. I'm the only one who's fasting in Ramadan, but nobody else is in this, mm. in, in this um, sect, if you like. And then I thought to myself, you know what? I really want to look at Islam. And I remember during that mm. time as well, I used to we used to have a pet dog and you go for morning walkies. And around about six o'clock or so, whilst I was out doing the morning walk, or, you know, walking the dog, basically, I used to see the elders with the big bushy beards and long skirts. And initially I'm taking a... Um, I've taken the mick out of them, yeah. uh, seeing them go to the mosque. But then what happens, I realize day in, day out, I am seeing them go to the mosque. At a time, they've been told to go to the mosque for the Fajr prayers. And I was doing my prayers when I wanted to do my prayers. Mm. So there's a key distinction here. Mm. And I thought to myself, what have these guys got that really makes them get up at 6 o'clock or 5 o'clock in the morning to go to the prayers? Mm. And that's when the curiosity started. And then I started looking more into Islam. I went to my Pakistani friend's house and I asked him three times, can I borrow the Quran? Have a guess what he says. Mm. He says, I can't borrow the Quran. I was like, hey. And then Mm. uh, one of the occasions, second time, he said, I'll have to have a bath in order to uh, Mm. (laughs) read the Quran. But then I realized uh, um, he just didn't want to give me the Quran. And I thought, forget this. And I got my first Quran, the Abdul Yusuf Ali Quran, from my Mauritian Hindu friend that I went to do pilgrimage to India with. And he actually threw mm-hmm. it at me. So that's how I ended up getting my first Quran. I was reading certain um, pages of the Quran, like Surah Gashi, what the believers would be given in paradise. And that really kind of settled um, 
in my heart, you could say. And mm -hmm. that in itself was um, the, the draw to becoming closer to Islam. But even then, you know, I did research myself. Perhaps that's where my original uh, um, uh, liking, uh, liking to do research started from. Mm -hmm. When I looked at the foundation of Islam, I looked at the concept of God again. Mm. In Christianity, I was told you had the Trinity. In Hinduism, you had the Timurti, something similar to Trinity. Then obviously in Islam, you had the oneness of God, Tawheed, Islamic mm. monophism. And the concept of the Trinity came, emerged in 325 AD in the Council of Nicaea in modern-day Turkey, Izmir. Okay, so where, what about the Timurti? There's, th there's three concepts of like kind of like God over here, but in Islam mm -hmm. there's only one. And there was also this thing to do with visualization of God. Why is it in Islam we don't have an image of God? Mm. And then in Christianity we did, in Hinduism in multiple forms, and also Islam there was the one. Uh, um, so there was no image, but we also uh, the Muslims were stating that there's only one God, and we mm. only worship to one God. So, okay, then that went in Islam. So, then I looked at who has the original language. In Christianity, the language that Jesus spoke was Aramaic, not Arabic, mm. Aramaic, which is a Semitic language alongside mm. Arabic and Hebrew. Mm -hmm. Then I looked at Hinduism, Sanskrit. Did I know anyone who knew Sanskrit fluently? Nobody. Mm. I accept there are, there are students and scholars out there who know it, but it's not a living language. It's a bit like Latin. You may mm. learn it, but it's not a, a language that's used every day. Mm. So that were obviously, then I looked at Islam. Arabic language, the language of revelation, it's been preserved, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, as well as it's an everyday language. Mm. So that went again in Islam's favor. Mm. So everything I was looking at, you know, objectively, it was looking at the, the end result was Islam. Mm. And then I obviously um, took my shahada, I did. So that's a, a long story short. <laughs> oh, love it. I can just sit and listen to stories and stories about how people become Muslims. I love hearing them, mashallah. And it, it kind of surprised me that you were quite a religious Hindu, but you were still open-minded to, to to kind of do acts in other religions, like fasting Ramadan. Because usually religious individuals, they kind of tend to commit and practice only their religion. So I'm wondering what gave you that, or how did you have that kind of interest to practice other religions when you were quite religious in your own religion? To be honest, even when I was at college, I, I remember we had a poster and we did mm. a, a project about equal opportunities and it said like, you know, equal to um, this, that, whatever. And something that was missing was religion. Mm. And I remember we had a law teacher said that there's one something that's missing from his religion. And then, you know, mm. some of the other students said, they actually said, oh, that's what, then they mentioned my old name, uh, said that's what um, he, he would be saying. And the teacher said, yeah, I agree with that as well. So even like, you know, my fellow peers, uh, students um, in the class, they knew I was that person of, of religion. Even when I fasted as well, some of the non-Muslims in the class fasted alongside me. Oh, and, uh, but but, but then these were females. They weren't, but then they originally, then that originally was a fast, but then they changed it to a diet they did. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, so that did make me laugh. Um, but this is how I mean. To, yeah, that's how I was. I I, I was mm -hmm. you know a person who believed in God before yeah. becoming Muslim, and wow. then I, I I took that big step. What people say, I ended up becoming Muslim. Sometimes people just don't understand that. You know, yeah. normally what you might have people who were atheists they didn't have, they didn't um, celebrate um, God anything like that, and then they became Muslim. In my case, I believed in in God, um, but my concept of God was totally wrong. Yeah. SubhanAllah. I find this really interesting. SubhanAllah. That's amazing stuff, mashallah. And I'm just going to quickly just remind our dear listeners again, just in case anybody joins, joined a bit later, is that we have Abdul Malik with us today in the show, who's the Director of Halal Tourism Britain. 
Britain, and also Britain's first professionally qualified Muslim tour guide and the UK's leading authority on halal tourism in Britain. He works with Visit Britain to further halal tourism and is a member of UK Inbound Travel Trade Association, which gives access to attractions, tourist boards and other travel companies to increase awareness of halal travel within the UK. Dear listeners, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to send those in 0779481822. In fact, actually, I just got the uh, reminder that we have a minute left for the ship for the uh, to go for a break. Uh, But before we go for a break, just in a few seconds, is your service just for Muslims or can anyone access your service? Oh, no, 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 no. This is a big misconception. Halal tourism is not only for Muslims. Mm. Um, I, I prefer to use the term halal tourism as opposed to Muslim friendly. Muslim friendly would mean it's only applicable to Muslims. That's why I always used halal tourism. 30% of our customers are not Muslim. Mm. Wow, inshallah. And we'll talk a bit more about a it, inshallah. Sorry, you're breaking there. But anyway, we'll get, we'll begin for a break, inshallah. We'll talk a bit more about it after the break. So, dear listeners, this is Inspire FM, Luton on 105.1. Inshallah, we will begin for a very short break. So please stay tuned and do not go away. Assalamualaikum. Assalamualaikum. This is Atif Nawaz. Listen to Inspire FM shows in your time by heading over to inspirefm.org or listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Assalamualaikum. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Arise to Success show. We have Abdul Malik with us today, who is the director of Halal Tourism Britain, a multi-award winner, and the most and most recently top fifty influential Muslims in Europe winner 2023. Abdul Malik is Britain's first professionally qualified Muslim tour guide and the UK's leading authority on halal tourism in Britain. He works with Visit Britain to further halal tourism in Britain and he is also a member of UK Inbound Travel Trade Association which gives access to attractions, tourist boards and other travel companies to increase awareness of halal travel within the UK. Abdul Malik is also a halal cruises expert and has over 40 tours including walking ones, sightseeing bus tours and River Thames halal food cruises. Dear listeners, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to send those on 0779481822. So, Abdul Malik, before the break, we were discussing um, Halal Tourism Britain. We are talking a little bit more about when it started, what was your motivation, your journey to Islam, which I found, mashallah, all very interesting. And just before the break, I was asking if your service is only for Muslims, and you said 30%, mashallah, um, who have access to it are actually non-Muslims. So I'm actually wondering, do you get interest from them in, you know, um, to see halal tourism and to see, you know, Muslim history as well? Or is it mainly like what you mentioned, like, you know, Big Ben and other other um, things that may not really relate to Islam? Muslim heritage in UK. Um, having said that, sometimes um, they have friends... Sorry, if you start again, I don't know what happened. We'll miss the first part. Okay. It's mostly to do with looking at Muslim heritage within Britain. So they'll Mm. probably come as groups, looking at diversity of Britain, as well as uh, maybe family members coming together. Um, Mm. They've been to London for work reasons. They're coming back to London, except they want to see London with um, a new lens, as they say. Looking at more at the diversity of London. And that's where we get to um, present um, Muslim heritage to them. So one thing we need to remember is halal tourism. Mm. Commonly gets associated with halal food, taking care of halal food, mm. taking care of the, our prayers, and um, you know staying within the framework of like um, what is halal. But then mm. there are different um, halal levels of halalness you could have as well. But uh, what I've advocated from the beginning, we need to adopt that mindset where we're looking at Muslim heritage in various mm. places as well whether it's yeah. non-Muslim countries or Muslim-majority countries as well. And I've been really pushing this out globally uh, because what I have seen, I have seen halal packages of different people, um, different travel agents, if you like, come into Britain. And when I look at what their attractions are, yes, they've got the attractions, but have they got the Muslim heritage there? They don't. Mm. 
they may have the odd um, tr- um, trip to Regent's Park Mosque, and that's it. But you know, when I look at when I read the finer um, uh, schedule, they, they seem to be highlighting more uh, Christian places, mm. uh, which are um, Westminster Abbey, St Paul's Cathedral, or York Cathedral, and they speak about the splendour, the magnificence of this. And I'm thinking, hold on, me this. Um, schedule in itself is not um, ideally for that Muslim traveller that you seem to be catering for. Why mm. are we lacking that content when it comes to Muslim heritage? And we've got ample, um, you know, sites relating to um, uh, Muslim heritage. Um, I mean, for example, even if you go to Cheshire, there's a castle called Beeston Castle, mm. which is a replica of Saladin Ayyubi's castle, uh, which was in Syria. So that's mm. an example of a castle. But then you also have um, the Arab room in um, Cardiff Castle. You even have churches um, in Northwest Wales, which have been, they have um, Islamically inspired uh, uh, motive, Islamically inspired motives, so, uh, um, st- um, stained glass windows as well. And that was because there was an English Muslim who actually restored the windows. But even if you were to go to um, Bradford, for example, you have the um, Islamic gardens over there, the Mughal gardens. You have, uh, um, you know, dotted around what we, uh, what you had was um, called like the, the, I don't like to use the term, but the, this is what the modern term is, human zoos, where there were Crystal Palace, White City, um, Edinburgh, Bradford, um, Ireland as well, where they had a, a, a travelling group of Somalis 100 years ago who were performing there. But the performance mm-hmm. in itself is highly questionable, to be honest. And just to, to give an example how types of uh, performance, yes, they were doing the textiles um, displays and they were doing some war dancing as well, but then what originally happened was they had two groups of Somalis kind of like fighting each other. Mm-hmm. And what happens then is then the the white man comes along. He separates them and makes peace between uh, makes peace between the two groups of Somalis as well. So you have that white savior mentality even mm-hmm. there one hundred years ago. And um, but these are like the, the hidden stories that we will never know about. I mean, even if you look at Brighton, you've got the Brighton Pavilion. You go to Woking, the first purpose built mosque in uh, um, Britain where Salah took place. You also have um, other locations even in London. Uh, some of the top tourist destinations, in fact, have Muslim heritage present there, or yet mm. we don't know about it. Sorry, the, the picture shows that you're still talking, but I can't hear anything, so I just want to make sure that you finished. Yes, I have, yes. Okay, because <laughs> it's not giving in line with what you're saying. All right, great. That's that's amazing, Mashallah. That actually answers the next question that I had in terms of giving us examples of halal tourism in Britain that you're doing. You've given some examples. If you have other examples um, that can interest our dear listeners, inshallah, do feel free to give some more if you would like. Um, well, yeah. I mean, even if you, I mean, you know, let's pick um, Salisbury Cathedral. Yes, it's a Christian-based mm. um, setting. However, people don't realise that their beams have Arabic numerals on it as well. You mm. also have um, other places. If you go to Reading Museum, they have connections. Uh, if you go to sorry, Reading, they have connections to do with the East India Company. And yeah. obviously it was a company that, um, if you think about it, um, in the in the context of in the, the the greater India, when Pakistan, obviously Bangladesh, didn't used to exist, India in itself was a highly flourishing uh, country uh, mm. before the East India Company went over there. And commonly, for some reason, you find in museums they say the the British went for trading purposes to the Indian subcontinent, and whilst the other European countries they went to cause war. And you, you always wonder, what's the difference in the language here that's been used? Mm. What did um, East India country do? They caused famine over there. What was once upon a time a thriving country, India, which had um, 26% of the global um, GDP. What happens then when uh, um, the Britain leaves? It's a third world country. What happened to the people who were present present in India that took them. They had successive famines. Internal civil uh, um, battles took place as well. Yes, there were some Muslims who did side themselves with the British army as well. And that's when even you find there's a famous um, 
uh, Indian Pakistani poet called Alama Iqbal. He wrote about the tajri among, uh, amongst certain Muslims when they tra- when they aligned themselves with the British as well. It's quite surprising that one key character called Robert Clive who was part of this. He has um, his statue outside the Foreign and Commonwealth Office. Mm-hmm. And if you go to look at the um, statue itself and look at the four reliefs on either side, on a couple of sides, you do find Muslims being featured on there. Mm-hmm. So wow. you, you have statues that are connected um, to do with Muslim heritage. If you go to different galleries, you find portraits which are, uh, uh, they have um some scenes from the um, Muslim countries as well, where they had battles with um, mm. with the East India um, Army. And what traditionally you has have, sorry, is always it's shown from one perspective. You could say, mm-hmm. um, but then if you do need to, what we say, like a Muslim tour guide to break break that down to show you what part is missing mm. from the, the label itself and what's not contained maybe on the website. And some of this, you know, as I said, you do need to have expertise, and this is where I come in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And mashallah, there's a lot that you also know and, and we would remember for me. Like, if I hear something, I'd probably forget it the next second. <laughs> so, yes, there, that, there is that importance of having that tour guide. So, Jazakallah khair for the information. And I was also wondering, um, do you offer halal tourism in Britain only or internationally as well? Or is that a plan that you're having for... Oh, no, no, no. I mean, internationally, we do do like um, halal cruises abroad. So, Mm. like Caribbean, Turkey, Indonesia, Egypt. We have partnered with local um, partners. And mm. that's when we have have that one in there. As well as, sorry, Vietnam as well. That's another destination. And it also depends on... Um, people spend um, mm. the more you spend the more luxurious um, a, a halal cruise can be as well and the different types of services um, that will be included but we are starting to do um, inshallah from next year we're going to do like a weekend trip to France mm-hmm. uh, that's been much in demand I do know about Muslim heritage in um, Paris and France and even when the French Muslims come over, they're getting told about their history, which they don't know about. So mm. that was something new that we will be doing um, in France as well. And um, as well as um, we are looking at uh, doing a summer international retreat. Mm. And um, that would be um, like on the island as well. Oh, so you get to um, enjoy the, the, the beauty of Allah's creation. Yeah. That's amazing, mashallah. And you mentioned about the demand as well. That was actually going to be another question. I was going to ask, where do you find the most demand at the moment? More in the UK and or certain places in the UK or more internationally? Okay. Um, I think maybe just to answer this question, I perhaps need to give you a better perspective, like a global perspective of halal tourism. Um, mm-hmm. Just looking at certain figures, it's always nice to put some figures in, in place so people, the audience themselves can actually be know where you're coming from. So, mm-hmm. for example, um, in 2022, there were 110 million international Muslim visitors. Mm-hmm. And that's 12% of the whole travel seg- uh, tr- travel community. Mm. But then in 2023, that's estimated to go up to 140 million travellers. Mm. And 2024, it's looking to increase to 160 million. So you can see our reach as a community is becoming greater and greater, inshallah. But mm. in terms of our spend now, in 2022, it was $255 billion. Mm. And then if you look at the uh, forecast for the spend in 2032, that's supposed to be $365 billion. Mm. At the moment, our spend as a halal tourist, halal travellers, is more or less the same as the American market. I'm slightly behind the Chinese market. But in the Mm. years to come, we are going to, inshallah, overtake that. So... If you look at the different types of travel um, uh, markets, segments, it will be halal travel leading the way. Now, within that, in terms of in Britain, as I said, we're the most halal-friendly destination in the West out of the non-OIC countries, and that in itself is an attraction. The, the, the fact that we have halal food widely available is an attraction. So, you know, the Muslims, they love their food. We don't, mm. We're not supposed to take drugs, but our drug is the, is the halal food itself, you know. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, like um, other types of tourism, most mm. tourists, 
when they come to Britain, they stay within London. This is the same in terms of the halal travellers as well. Sometimes people use um, the easy reach to come to England, using that mm. as a springboard to go to the rest of Europe as well. So that's yeah. another reason why people come to Britain and have them. And obviously, they do have family connections here as well. Back in the days, um, I remember many of the Asians, it didn't matter if you were Muslim, and if you had relatives that came from abroad, you always went you always went on that nighttime tour of the mm. key attractions when your dad returned back from work and then you could obviously make use of the car. That's how it used to be. But what's mm. happened over time, you know, that um, following generation, they themselves have become professionals. They have the surplus income. So they want to spend more. They want to explore more, discover more, and just uh, add whatever the destinations are to their bucket list as well. And that in itself, you know, we've actually expanded outside of London as well. But globally... Mm. There are some key destinations which are making their mark as well. So, for example, Bosnia is a key destination as well, which we are looking at as well from a different perspective. And Uzbekistan is the most recent one that's really promoting themselves in terms of their Islamic heritage. You also have Vietnam. And Vietnam is a destination that people don't realize that has Muslims there, that has Muslims uh, um, uh, um, generations there from at least five, six hundred years ago. And mm -hmm. Vietnam in itself is not too far away from Indonesia and Malaysia. So it gives you perhaps a clue in terms of the connections as well. And there are certain countries that are really trying to promote their um, boat cruising as well, of which mm. one of them is Vietnam. At the moment, like in Southeast Asia, you have um, from Singapore to uh, Malaysia and another country as well, they have the Oceanic Cruises. Mm. Uh, they have like a halal restaurant on there that has world cuisines. And we were trying to get hold of this uh, uh, contact basis so we can actually start selling um, packages with this um, um, ship company. But every time we make an inquiry for anyone, we're always told, you know, it's only for locals, not for British citizens. But then on the, on the recent round of meetings I had with the Malaysians, said, no, you can actually go. I said, so we've always been telling you, we've been telling you the wrong information. So that's mm -hmm. something else we'll be exploring. And, that, and to be honest, that is something... One day, Charlotte, we would like to reach, but no, as even on the halal cruise size, in terms of having private charter cruises, we started from the bottom. On the mm. river Thames, we've got people used to the concept of having um, events on boats. So we'd have Eid cruises, we'd have sisters um, cruises, and as well as the ordinary everyday um, halal food cruises. But then from that abroad, you go for your private cruises. And, you know, we can exclude your beaches and have your barbecues from your, your fishing that you've just done, etc. water activities. And it's offering another dimension of enjoying yourself as mm. a Muslim. And from there, then we actually go for a, um, a bigger boat, like an 1820 cabin boat. Mm. And once we've kind of established that, that um, position, then we go for a boat that could be potentially 100 cabins. I mean, I already have a boat company that said to me, Abdul Malik, when you're ready to take um, 100 cabins uh, worth of people, uh, people can um, be fitted into 100 cabins, we leave from Southampton and we go to Spain. I'll go, fantastic. But wow. that's a that long-term vision. Ultimate vision would be having the oceanic cruise. But this is the, the part. I've been keeping an eye on these uh, um, halal cruises as well. And what's mm. been happening, even in America, they had two. But they could only go for a deck because they didn't have that many people who had um, signed up for it, booked it. And they didn't repeat it again. Mm. But the, the other side of it was they didn't team up with any global partners as well. So there are some like mm -hmm. ways in which the Muslim community globally can actually benefit each other if they tend to team up with other um, partners around the world. Yeah. I'm sure that that's where you probably fill in that gap, inshallah, so that you can offer that service to the Muslim Ummah, inshallah, gain the reward for it. Inshallah, you're full of ideas, so inshallah, I hope that may Allah grant you success in all that you, um, inshallah, plan to do as well. Oh, yeah. And I'm just going to quickly remind our dear listeners that we have Abdul Malik with us on the show today, who is the Director of Halal Tourism Britain, as well as Britain's first professionally qualified Muslim tour guide and the UK's leading authority on halal tourism in Britain. He works with Visit Britain to further halal tourism in Britain and is a member of the UK Inbound Travel Trade Association, which gives access to attractions, 
tourist boards and other travel companies to increase awareness of halal travel within the UK. Dear listeners, any questions, any clarifications, any comments, please feel free to send them on 0779-481822. So, Abdul Malik, mashallah, you are at the moment, mashallah, multi-award winner and recently in the top 50 influential Muslims in Europe winner 2023. How does it feel, mashallah, and did you ever think when you first started this that you're going to get that far, mashallah? No, to be honest, um, I, I didn't. So, you know, over the years, I've won, I've, I've been um, runner-up or a finalist, and then, you know, in this case, a winner. And it's really surprised me. Um, you know, there, there are many different people who are recognizing the work that I've done, people who made submissions, and they, they value the work that I've done as well. And even from that, what I never imagined what, what could be ha- happening, that I would be a speaker about halal tourism and not only within uk so for next year i've been invited um to different countries around the world to be a speaker as well that's right. like malaysia saudi turkey um uh, you know and there's a few more as well so that'll be taking place um next year as well inshallah which to be honest when i started i would never imagine that would be uh, uh that would be the case like you know 10 years on as they say but they are that shows you success and success comes only from the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I'd like to thank the people who supported us as well throughout this whole journey. MashaAllah, that's amazing. And MashaAllah, what a great start to the year, inshallah, inshallah, to more and more successes, inshallah. So that's great. Mm. And you mentioned a bit of the future plans for halal tourism. Is there anything that, anything else, mashallah, as, as you're full of ideas, mashallah, anything else that you plan to kind of include in halal, uh, halal tourism person? in halal tourism britain we've we are going to expand upon mm. uh two parts we tried to tried it last year in ramadan where we teamed up with some businesses in the uae mm. and we were offering them a virtual tour a live virtual tour of some key sites around london and that's something we going to expand upon um mm. Um, to go to other uh, businesses around the world doing live virtual tours so people can know about how Muslims um, celebrate Ramadan as well as the Muslim heritage and that's something really keen on to, to develop so I don't think nobody and no, actually I tell you there are some people who actually do it around the world and that's where we've got the idea from but why can't we show London yeah no, that's amazing. Yeah. and just a little yeah, sorry. On top of that, we, we obviously do charity walks as well, where mm-hmm. different charities come to us and say, can you put on a tour for us? And um, so, yeah, uh, what, what they found is if they were to uh, book us uh, for the charity walks, it's le- there's less of a, less overheads. So it's an urban tour, walking tour from like um, location A to location Z. Mm-hmm. And, there's less um, overheads. There's no coach planning. People can all meet us in central London, take them one side of London to the other, and we show them where the Muslim heritage is. And they're, they're obviously the participants themselves. They are fundraising on behalf of whatever the cause is. And that in itself is quite attractive for different charities because you don't have to have, you know, half your team going out for the weekend. And when here, you could just, um, it's all in London. If they're based in London, it just makes sense. Mm. Oh, that's great, mashallah, and a lot of great stuff, mashallah, to look forward to. Before we end, what would you advise or kind of recommend to Muslims out there listening to us? Because, mashallah, you started with uh, an idea, uh, an ambition, mashallah, it developed to where you are now. And that's something I tend to kind of like to end my show with. What would you advise others to kind of do in order for them to act upon their dreams? You've got to have a vision. Mm. I would say put it on paper, not not in your in your mind. We tend to have, I think, as a community, as well, and non Muslims as well, we always have mm. these visions that are stuck in our head. Put it on mm. paper. Look to yourselves. Who are your allies? Your existing allies. How can you develop even more um, more strategies in terms of getting people to accept whatever your vision has? For me, it was great difficulty. I wasn't coming up with a product. Um, like, a, I don't know, beauty product or something like that. Halal mm. tourism in Britain was never heard of, and that was a challenge in itself. Uh, within the Muslim community, I say non-Muslim community as well. But you have to have perseverance in terms of seeing that go forward. And you, you've got to have at least a, um, a three-year vision. And you've got to think of it 
most businesses don't last three years. Mm. How are you going to last more than three years? And don't shy away from networking. Mm. I, I've met people, they don't do networking. They don't have business cards. And I'm like, well, how can you not be doing that? Mm. Um, you know, you've got to have this in play. You've also got to embrace the media. Mm. Media, in, to, to me, are allies. Mm. Uh, they can actually promote who you are, your brand, etc., as well as, um, as I say, get more clients, basically, as well as um, it gives you a challenge in yourself in people identifying who you are because people do want to know who the people are behind a particular brand and people, if, if, you, if, if you ain't got on your website who you are, whatever, except the generic about us and we've had, um, we're blah, 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 whatever. Yeah, okay, so what's your name? Mm. Uh, what, what's your past background in terms of what you've been doing? A bit like Dragon's Den, you know, you go in there, the, mm. the, the dens themselves want to know, okay, so what have you done previously to actually request our money? In some ways, that's a bit of a sales tactic to kind of get you positioned correctly in trying to promote yourself. Mm-hmm. Great tips, mashallah. Jazakallah khair for that. And inshallah, that's going to be beneficial, inshallah, for our dear listeners. Jazakallah khair, Abdul Malik. This has been really great stuff. I found it really interesting. And in fact, I, one of your tours that I wanted to join the past, I think it was a bus tour, I can't remember, but I had a, a, an arrangement that day, unfortunately. But inshallah, something definitely on mind that I would love to join, inshallah, in the future. And I hope our dear listeners, inshallah, do join in as well. So Jazakallah khair again. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in. I hope, inshallah, that you have found this beneficial. Please do stay tuned as well, inshallah, for future shows, which take place on Monday, 6 to 7 p.m. Next week's guest is Sonia Yaqini, who is the founder of Balancing Bridges, which is an online service that empowers and supports people to move between who they were who they are and who they want to become. So do join us, inshallah, next week. And inshallah, also, if you do know, if you are or if you do know somebody who would like to share their story on our radio show to inspire others, please do get in touch with us on 0779481822. We'd love to hear from you, inshallah. Jazakallah khair again, Abdul Malik. Jazakallah khair for, uh, to our dear listeners for tuning in. And inshallah, we'll see you all next week again. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at InspireFM Luton.